Hi, welcome to our 30th and final episode of the year. It's been a great season. In this episode, we're going to look at some of the biggest Forex wins and then some of the biggest losses in history. As always, thanks for listening and enjoy. Hey, Alison, how are you today? Hey, Chris, I'm doing very well, thanks. How's it going your side? Yeah, good. It's getting warmer in Cape Town. When I first arrived, it was a bit cool, but um, they're saying today it's going to be 28 degrees. Oh, my goodness. I hope you're going for a swim. Well, this is what I was thinking about doing, but the water here is uh, it's really cold in the That's South Atlantic. Freezing, hey? Yeah, <laughs> it is. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe I'll uh, might have to work up some courage. Work up some well, courage. Need... Lots of sun cream and then throw yeah. myself in. Or a wetsuit. Then it uh, covers all bases. That's <laughs> true. That's true. But yeah, this is our thirtieth and our final episode for the year. How are you feeling about that? Yeah, I can't believe it. Actually, it's gone. It seems to have gone so quickly. Um, yeah, no, it has. It's been a good season. It's been a great season, and we thought we'd uh, you know we've 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 covered a lot of the fundamentals of trading. You know, we've talked about risk management, um, choosing a forex broker. We compared some of our favorite brokers and had a look at those. And then we kind of capped it off uh, a couple of weeks ago with our interview with, with Monty uh, from Quasi Trade. Yeah. yeah, it was, a, it was very was interesting. Really... Yeah, I loved, I loved his perspective. I must say it was very interesting to hear it from a broker's perspective because we always talk from the trader's perspective. And so, and hopefully we're going to, we'll have more of those. We're working on something now. Get somebody, some more, some more guests on the show. Um, so yeah, I guess we'll just, before we get into this, I want to. I think we just want to thank everyone for their support and for their questions and um, yeah, and for and for your ears for listening. And we hope that we've uh, we hope that we've uh, helped you become a, a better trader, or at least uh, and or helped you start off your trading career on the right foot. Um, we've actually and we've also got a dedicated email address now for the podcast. We're, we're turning professional, Alison. This is what happens. You get an email address. <laughs> Uh, you can and so you can write to us directly at podcast at fxscouts.com. That's podcast at fxscouts.com. And um, when are we when are we when are we back, Alison? Um, I think we're gonna be back early Jan. So probably the first week of Jan we'll we'll kick off with season two. Uh, so yeah, with our, our new founded email address, please let us know if there's anything that uh, any of our listeners would like to you know, any topics that you'd like us to cover. Yeah. Yeah, do get in touch. Let us know if there's anything you want us particularly to talk about. And we'll, um, we'll get on that. So you're back in early January. Um, uh, so keep an ear out for us. But this week, uh, since it's our last, um, last episode of the year, a bit of a Christmas special, we thought we'd cover something uh, slightly goofy, a bit, bit silly. We're going to look at the biggest... The biggest trading winners and and uh, losers. So do you want to take this away, Alison? Yeah. Um, I've I've got quite a lot of dogs barking in the background here. I think I've got cows outside. As as you, <laughs> you know, <laughs> as you get in South Africa, so excuse the dog barking. <laughs> That's right. Um, but anyway, we start this list with um, looking at one of the most legendary figures in forex trading history. 
I think many people would agree, and uh, this is George Soros. Uh, he is regarded as one of the greatest investors in history, and uh, he's well known for his understanding of economic trends to identify market inefficiencies. Um, and he basically exploited these um, market inefficiencies with large, highly leveraged trades. So he was quite risky in his approach. And uh, he sealed this legendary status in 1992 um, when he profited more than $1 billion, which you can imagine what, what, what that was worth in 1992, from short-selling the British pound. And he actually earned himself the famous title of the man who broke the Bank of England. The reason he actually shorted the pound was that the UK was participating in the European exchange rate mechanism, um, and this linked the pound to the euro or the ECU in the early days. Um, and it guaranteed that the government would pursue policy to keep the value of the pound within a certain limit compared to the European currencies. And at this time, interestingly, the rate of inflation in the UK was high and interest rates were over 13%. So this basically led Soros and all the other successful forex tra traders to believe that the ERM was keeping the UK's currency artificially high. The UK then withdrew from the ERM and they allowed it allowed their currency to once again float um, and this caused the value of the pound to drop, which he could see coming, and uh, this event was known as Black Wednesday. And by this time, he he had seen the writing on the wall and had amassed a huge short position against the pound worth more than $10 billion. And uh, it, it, it went down in history as one of the greatest forex trades ever. And it secured his status as one of the best forex traders on earth, um, a status he still has, interestingly. And he once said, I'm only rich because I know when I'm wrong. And this quote reflects an important part of of being a forex trader, uh, being able to admit when you're wrong. And he basically prides himself on, on admitting when he's wrong and moving to rectify the mistake of, well, rectify any mistakes that he's made um, and minimizing his losses. Um, and he's actually now worth, uh, an, yeah, he's worth $8.6 billion currently. And what I also like about Soros is that between 1979 and 2011, he donated more than $11 billion to various philanthropic, philanthropic causes. So he's, uh, yeah, he's, he's got a very good heart. Um, as, as, uh, as aggressive a trader as he is, he's, uh, he's really done sort of good with that money. Yeah, he does have a good heart, Alison. Uh, he spends a lot of money on, on philanthropy and a lot of uh, all over the world. Um, and he, but he, you know, he is also a very aggressive uh, forex trader. I mean, it's interesting you say that. The, you quote him as saying, "I'm only rich because I know when I'm wrong," because he's also one of the biggest losers here on our list, uh, losing trades. I mean, in 1987, he lost somewhere in the region of, uh, I think, 800 million dollars um, over the course of a couple of weeks on S and P futures. He failed to pull out of the market. Uh, even though American bonds have been taking a beating all year, um, him like and and most of the rest of the investors at the time uh, were still convinced that the uh, the stock market was on was on its way up, and he had a huge amount of money invested in it. And then um, one of the most popular market forecasters back then, a guy called Robert Prechter, uh, all of a sudden turned around and told all his clients to pull out of the market, and there was a huge rout. Everybody pulled their money out, and George Soros was left carrying the can. 
and he lost uh, lost about eight hundred million. And then, interestingly, a couple of years after what you were talking about with the whole debacle with Black Wednesday and the ERM and the British pound, um, in '94 he um, he lost, and I think he lost six hundred million in one day. He had taken a short, a huge short, leveraged, and um, but instead of instead of falling, the, the yen increased by five percent after trade talks between the United States and Japan broke down. And the, but the great thing about these losses is that. Um, George Soros is a good enough investor, and he's good enough that he's always he's always been able to recover from them. You know, he's never these losses have never been huge enough to 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 knock him out of the fight. Yeah, and probably because he he knew, you know, I mean, six hundred and eight hundred million is arguably enormous, but he knew where to cut those. <laughs> arguably losses. enormous. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I mean, the thing is, he's but he's been so successful the rest of the time. Yeah. That he could cover, that he could cover as he could cover his losses, and you know we've talked yeah. about it before. You know, forex traders, you're not going to win every trade, no. And you just don't, don't don't burn yourself out. And if you're an aggressive forex trader like George Soros, then um, you know you're gonna you're gonna make some big losses every now and then. Yeah, yeah. As long as those don't um, trump the wins. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, well, our next our next famous uh, well probably one of the number two on the list is Stanley Druckenmiller and he worked alongside George Soros at uh, the quant- George Soros's quantum fund for over 10 years and he actually considers uh, Soros his mentor and since then he has developed a reputation himself um, and he successfully handles billions of dollars for Duquesne Capital um, and that's a company he founded and in addition to playing a part also in the Black Wednesday in 1992, he established a record of impressive profits uh, leading up to his retirement. And he's now worth an estimated $3 billion. And I like also what, what he says about um, successful trading is that he aggressively pursues profits during times when his trades are working and cuts them quick, cuts losses quickly when they aren't. And his strategy focuses on the value of maximizing opportunities when you're right and then minimizing your damage in situations when you are wrong. Um, and he was actually interviewed for a book called The New Market Wizards, and he says that there are a lot of shoes on the shelf. Wear only the ones that fit, which I think is a brilliant quote. <laughs> that is quite a good quote, isn't it? Yeah. And yeah, it sounds so simple, but it's so true. You know, when, when your trade's going well, aggressively pursue it. Yeah. And then when it's not, and when when the market's against you, just cut your losses, get out. It sounds so simple, but um, it's actually quite hard to pull off in practice. Yeah, but they seem to just—they know where to set those stops, whether it's a psychological stop in their mind or a—and they're probably so used to seeing what the market does that they know exactly when when it's going to turn against them. But another thing we often talk about, Chris, is that if if they've got such huge amounts of capital, they can sort of weather those drawdowns, whereas people with less capital can't. So that's another difference between these traders and you'd say sort of your average layman forex traders who might not have that capital. Yeah. But one man who couldn't weather the drawdown quite more recently than Soros and Druckenmiller is uh, Bill Huang, who in 2021 lost, uh, what is it, somewhere in the region of uh, 8 or $9 billion dollars. With his fund, the Archegos Capital Management. If those of you who don't know the story, Archegos managed about uh, somewhere in the region of thirty-six billion dollars. It was a family fund, and family funds in the United States um, don't have quite as strict rules as um, as normal investment banks and hedge funds. 
And what Bill Huang was doing is he was trading something. He'd been trading for, for about uh, 10 years with Archegos, like Soros. He was a very aggressive, um, very aggressive trader. And he was trading with something called total return swaps, which are quite fancy derivative instruments. They, it's what, what he would do, he would trade these with the bank. The bank ends up actually owning the asset. And Bill Huang, in this case, Archegos, it was never obvious that he was owners of the asset. And he would, and they were, but they're leveraged, and he was leveraged on average of about five to one uh, with these banks. <laughs> he was working. He was working with about five or six of the largest banks in the world. But because the way total return swaps work, the actual owner of the asset, or in this case, Archegos Capital Management, remains anonymous. So none of the banks knew that he was working with the other banks and that he was leveraged with these other banks. And, um, and he, he, like Soros has said, he was a very aggressive trader. You know, he had, um, he'd opened huge positions on a number of uh, companies like Viacom CDF, Baidu and Farfetch and other places. Um, and then I think it was, yeah, there was a 27% plunge in Viacom CBS's share price. And all of a sudden the banks came knocking with a margin call you know, and they said, "Hey, we need you to we need you to cover your cover your losses here." And Bill Huang could not meet the margin calls, and then all of a sudden, all these banks realized they'd all lent large amounts of money to Bill Huang, and uh, they ended up they ended up losing. They ended up having to close out all their positions. And Bill Huang uh, declared bankruptcy and ended up with Credit Suisse lost five and a half billion, Nomura lost three billion, Morgan Stanley lost a billion. Uh, UBS lost about 800 million and Mitsubishi Financial lost about three or 400 million. Goldman Sachs, who was one of the other banks that he worked with, got out pretty much scot-free because after all the banks agreed to have a disorderly, uh, sorry, an orderly sale of the assets <laughs> they held in Bill Huang's name and they all shook hands in it and they all left the meeting. Goldman Sachs, in classic form, uh, turned around and immediately sold all of their holdings, um, leaving all the other banks to carry the can. And Bill Huang is currently, um, I think just a few months ago, he's under investigation. He's been charged with fraud, securities fraud, wire conspiracy, racketeering and conspiracy. Uh, so I imagine he's probably going to end up end up in jail for quite some time for this. Wow. Yeah, well, as we talk about, leverage is a very risky tool. <laughs> mm-hmm. And the more you yeah, leverage, the higher your chances of, of losing. But it's the equivalent of a forex trader. Like, I mean, imagine if you're a forex trader. Like, I mean, if you opened um, an account with Pepperstone, and then you had an account with Tickmill, and then you had an account with, you know, with all the, with, with five or six big brokers. Yeah. And then in each one, in each one, you were leveraged up to the hilt, and you didn't have, and you didn't have the capital to cover your margins. You know, it's and really aggressive you... and really quite risky. Yeah. Yeah. But if they've all got negative balance protection and you've sort of hedged your bets quite well, um, mm-hmm. that's another thing traders do. Um, it is. Although these days, uh, <laughs> uh, these days the the brokers I think would start talking to each other if they they saw somebody doing this type of thing. So it's yeah. not so easy. To get away and this, with it. and this is the advantage of Bill Huang and his total and his swaps is that nobody had any idea because it anonymized mm. his transactions. Mm. It's very clever. Very, it's very clever, but unfortunately. Um, not clever enough. But also we were saying, you know, if he'd got away, if he'd won, then it would be a different story. Yeah, exactly. And something would... Yeah. They wouldn't have investigated yeah. anything. No, no, nobody would have had any idea. And I'm sure there's right now, there's probably very similar stuff going on in the markets. 
and right. and, it, and it will go completely unnoticed because whoever's doing it is going to be successful. Hmm. Well, another interesting story, um, a success story, is that of Bill Lipschitz, and he is famous for his trading journey uh, while he started trading at university in the 1970s. And I like the story because it's a little bit more down to earth. So while studying, he inherited $12,000 um, after the death of his grandmother. And with this money, he he began trading and he turned it into $250,000. Again, in the 1970s, can you imagine what, what the worth, you know, yeah, would have been a yeah. lot. But thanks to one wrong decision, uh, he lost the entire $250,000. Ouch. Um, and uh, for many people, it would have been enough to give up trading for good. But he continued trading. And after graduating, he joined Salomon Brothers as part of a training pro program. And then he was asked to join their foreign exchange department. And uh, by 1985, he was making the firm an average of $300 million a year. Um, wow. And the reason he he gained, you know, and he, he traded so well is that he understood how psychological the market was. Um, and he believes that market perceptions influence price action as much as fi fundamentals do. And like Druckenmiller, he maximizes his wins, but he cuts his lo losses quickly. And he once famously said of trading that you have to figure out how to make money from being right only 20 to 30% of the time. <laughs> that's a very, a very important Yeah, it's good, huh? That is really yeah. good. Gosh, yes, so your wins, if you're only, make, only right 20 to 30% of the time, then you've really got to make big on your wins. And I guess yeah. if he cuts your losses quickly, then, yeah, you just make lots of small losses. Yeah. And then you make, and then you really aggressively pursue those wins. Yeah, I guess when you see those trends building and you know what that looks like on a chart, you just mm -hmm. carry on with it, you know? Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. All three of these guys I talked about have this, uh, I think they're very good at dealing with stress, you know, yeah. with psychological risk that comes with, with trading. And not trying to claw back yesterday's losses, you know. They they don't get they're not silly about it. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. No, they're really good. But I'm going to go over one one more loss, and I think and then I think we'll call it quits. The the sad story of Jerome Carville and uh, Society General. This is back in 2008. He was busted. He was a trader working for a big French bank called Society General, and apparently since 2006, between 2006 and 2008, he made unauthorized trades totaling as much as 50 billion euros which is far higher than the bank's actual total market capitalization which is um which is pretty pretty good going um and so the bank said i mean this is the thing there's this one's quite an interesting story because there's a lot of he said she said going on here with the story because the bank said that he he concealed this activity but what do you do create losing trades intentionally so as to offset his gains. So they couldn't see how much money he was actually spending on his Jeez. trades. What he was, do he was doing, he was doing arbitrage discrepancies uh, between der equity derivatives and cash equity prices. That's what he was nominally doing. And um, apparently making huge amounts of money at first. Um, he generated somewhere in the region one and a half billion in profits by the end of 2007. But then the problem is uh, there was a large drop in equity indices. And the whole thing unraveled for him. Ended up losing somewhere in the region of $5 billion. And was sentenced to five years in prison in the end. Served and served three years. And in his defense, though, he's always argued that this kind of stuff happened all the time at Societe Generale. And that his managers let it happen. They turned a blind eye. 
And and to be fair, a lot of experts have have looked at the situation. They said, look, I mean, Society General's side of the story is is a bit weird because how would he be able to make these huge, uh, huge trades without anybody noticing? And a lot of a lot of experts here yeah, have ex- expressed skepticism, um, saying, you know, that you know, apparently he was opening and closing trades within three days, so as not to get caught by internal controls. But I mean, you're talking billions and billions. Um, and you couldn't open and close trades as large within just within just three days, uh, without, yeah. I mean, and somebody. So I mean, his, you can understand Jerome Kabil, and so his his argument is that he was always a scapegoat, and that the bank mm. allowed these huge risky trades to go on, and he was, and it's just, and he lost. You know, what can you do? As you say, you know, it's only an issue when you lose. They don't mind when you're winning if you do the same thing, which is silly. Absolutely not. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So anyway, that's a sad story of Jerome Kubel, but he's out of prison now. He's doing well for himself. He's on the. He does a lot of speaking. He does a lot of touring and, and conferences. Okay. And he's yeah. trading still. I imagine. So. I don't think he's allowed to trade. I think he's been banned from trading. As oh, part of his. Uh, yeah, a lot of these. A lot of these guys who end up in jail get banned from trading. Okay. Yeah, for good reason, yeah. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, I think we'll leave it there for today. The sad story of Jerome Cavill, but some some good stories in there as well, and I think some good lessons. Yeah, something something we've uh, harped on about a lot throughout the the series is uh, cutting your losses quickly and uh, yeah, just um, riding those winners out. You know. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. No, they've certainly done that. Anyway, we hope you've enjoyed this episode and we will be back in the new year with a new season on Forex trading. And as uh, as you said earlier, Chris, um, send any questions through to us and uh, we'll be very happy to, to answer them. Maybe you can repeat that email address for me. I, I don't have it at top of mind. It's uh, podcast at fxscouts.com. Great. Thanks, Chris. Yeah. And we'll, we'll chat to you again in the new year. Chat to you again in the new year. Merry Christmas to everyone. And a happy yeah. new year. We'll speak to you and soon. A happy new year. Yeah. Cheers, Chris. Cheers, Alison.